Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is August the 9th, uh, not August, October the 19th, 2021. And one of the themes that has come up quite frequently on the show recently is the issue of rage, of anger, and how it translates into politics, whether it's a good or a bad thing, whether we should encourage or discourage it. Uh, yesterday, we had um, Vanessa Veselka on the show. Uh, her prize-winning book, Zazen, has just been re-released. And it's a book about a kind, the, the kind of simmering rage in the Northwest, a, a, a radical uh, rage, uh, which uh, is pitting the right against the left um, and perhaps uh, threatening a degree of political violence. So I talked to uh, Veselka in, in some detail about the implications of rage, of anger. And I think she was quite ambivalent about its consequences and meaning. Uh, in a historical sense, uh, last week I interviewed um, a very distinguished Harvard University academic, Vladimir and Andro- uh, and, uh, Alexandrov, on um, a man called Boris Savinkov, late 19th century Russian, uh, one of the original kind of intellectual terrorists on the left of Russian politics. And one of the things we discussed was the similarities in some ways between contemporary America and late 19th, early 20th century Russia. I think it's an interesting comparison. Not everyone, of course, is sympathetic to the idea of rage, of anger. I uh, had the Harvard University uh, legal professor, Randall Kennedy, on the show recently, very distinguished legal theorist. Um, and um, uh, as uh, as the New York Times review of his book suggests, he's much more in favor of thinking than feeling. And I think he's rather fearful, to use a word, of rage as a kind of political discourse. But of course, there is a case for rage. Not everyone is as ambivalent or suspicious or critical of anger and rage as Randall Kennedy. And my guest today has a really interesting new book out called, uh, appropriately enough, The Case for Rage. Um, her name is Maisha Cherry, and she's joining me from Boston today. Uh, Maisha, welcome. Uh, what is then the case for rage? <laughs> well, I think it's important for me to, uh, before I give the case, to kind of talk about the kind of rage that I'm interested in defending. So I'm very interested in anger in the context of political injustice, particularly or primarily in the context of racial injustice. And I think there are a variety of angers that we can feel in response to racial injustice. And in the book, I kind of lay out, I begin the first chapter kind of laying out a variety of angers that one can have. And I suggest that they are, are, are different um, in very interesting ways. Uh, so for example, a kind of rage that I kind of describe is what I call white rage. And that kind of rage is directed towards scapegoats. It seeks to eliminate those that they perceive as, as the enemy. Um, it doesn't motivate any kind of transformation. It just motivates the elimination of the other or those that we think is the enemy. And then you contrast that with something that I call or Bell Hooks refers to as narcissistic rage. One might say that this is a little better <laughs> than white rage because um, it is directed to some kind of change, 
but the kind of changes that directed towards is a change that it's only for oneself, right? So one is not really thinking about other people that may be oppressed just as one is oppressed. One is only thinking about freedom or justice for oneself. And then you have those kinds of angers. And the kind of anger that I defend is something that I describe as Lorian rage. And it's a kind of uh, anger that is highly inspired uh, by the poet, by the scholar, Audre Lorde, um, very popular essay called The Uses of, of Anger. And this is a kind of anger that is directed at racism, racist attitudes, those who perpetuate racism. Um, it aims for change or radical transformation of our, of our world. Um, it embodies a kind of inclusive perspective. So it's not just about getting justice for oneself or one's group, but justice for everyone. Um, so that's the kind of rage that I defend in the book. One might say that it's a kind of virtuous kind of anger, um, but I don't presuppose that one has to be a perfect human being to have this particular rage. I see this kind of rage present and BLM. Um, and as we look at the history of particularly the United States, those who have fought against injustice, um, I argue that Sojourner Truth had this particular rage. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. had this particular rage. Ida B. Wells had this particular rage. And that's the kind of rage that I defend in the book. You also talk um, about resentiment, the Nietzschean yes. concept of rage in the book. Um, you suggest that resentiment isn't a good rage. Who's to determine what is and isn't a good rage? No, this is good because usually the tendency is to paint anger in broad strokes, right? Is to say that anger is bad, period. And one of the things that I, I at least attempt to illuminate in the book, that we don't do that with other emotions, right? So when we think about love, for example, we do take time out to kind of describe the different kinds of loves that we want to experience. So we know that there's eros, right? Uh, there's erotic love, there's agape love, um, there's love directed towards one's brother. But even though there's different kinds of love, you can love different kinds of objects and based on what you love will affect the way in which we judge that kind of, that kind of love. So for example, if I love my neighbor, of course, we might say that that's a good kind of love. But if I love crack cocaine, we might say, hold up, <laughs> love is good. But what that love is directed towards is problematic. And so one of the things that I'm trying to do in the book, as opposed to saying anger is bad, I want to challenge us to kind of think about, OK, what is that anger directed towards? Right. Uh, what is one motivated to do with that particular anger? Um, who is one thinking about uh, when one has this particular anger? What is it motivating oneself to do? Um, what is the aims of that particular anger? And I suggest that once you have the answers to those questions, then you're able to judge or assess or evaluate if that anger is good or bad. So you go back to the examples that I laid out about white rage. Well, if you aim to eliminate um, who don't think like you, look different than you, or those that you perceive as the enemy, and that's a good indicator that that's, that's not a productive anger. That's not an anger that we want to have in our political society. But if one is aiming for, as I suggest in the case of Lordian Rage, if one is aiming for a transformation of our world, for a society to live up the principles that it holds dear, then I would suggest, well, that's, that's, a, that's a good kind of anger that we want to have in our political society. So I'm suggesting the way that we determine if the anger is good or bad is that we ask, ask those particular questions. And once we ask those particular questions, then we can answer the question if it's good or if it's bad or not. Uh, Maisha, when I was reading the book, which, uh, congratulations, by the way, it's a, it's a oh, very strong, you. interesting polemic, and uh, you're not shy to take positions which not everyone will agree with. Um, I thought of uh, the great political 
uh, anti-colonialist polemicist uh, Franz Fanon, in particular his book, Wretched of the Earth. I'm not sure how familiar you are with Fanon. Fanon's controversial because some people see him as legitimizing violence. Mm -hmm. What's the relationship in your argument in terms of the the case for rage, uh, uh, your subtitle is Why Anger is Essential to Anti-Racist Struggle, between rage and violence. Is, is, is violence beyond the pale for you? <laughs> well, I would say this. So, so it's not odd or weird or strange for one to think that the two are synonymous or that anger necessarily leads to violence. Um, there's been psychologists that argue, hey, the action tendency, the thing that you're motivated to do when you are angry is to respond in a kind of violent way. I want to reject that. And I, I want to say that it depends on the kind of anger that one feels. And I think a, a good kind of counterexample of that is that a lot of a lot of us are angry at people that we love, but we don't have a desire to lash out and to be violent towards them. So I kind of I kind of resist that kind of that necessary um, kind of connection between between anger and, and, and violence. I would also say, say that the psychological literature suggests um, that probably one of the main um, uh, emotions that kind of lead to violence um, is fear. Um, so there's other kinds of, of, of emotions that have a, a greater connection to, to Manche, let, me, let me jump in here. Um, I mentioned the, the, the book about uh, Savinkov. Um, and Alexandrov, in, in, in my interview, talked about an incident. Um, Savinkov was a champion of terrorism, mm -hmm. um, but one that he described as moral terrorism. They, they would <laughs> determine these social revolutionaries to only assassinate people who had done wrong. Can mm -hmm. violence, when it comes to the case for rage, can violence ever be justified? Certainly in terms of fighting back physically against uh, violent racists. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the kind of anger that I'm illuminating, and you know, I spent some time in the book kind of talking about uh, my position about violence. Um, but one of the things that I'm trying to do is disentangle the two, right? So I don't want to say that they're necessarily um, are connected, and particularly the kind of anger that I'm particularly referring to. Violence is not the first resort. And, and, and I'm really thinking about the context in which I live in the United States, um, in which, uh, and now mind you, there's all kinds of violence, right? So one can engage in violence towards an individual, one can engage in violence towards property. So there's a variety um, of connections there. And it's not to say that in either case, depending on the political situation that we're facing, that violence will never be necessary, right? I, I don't want to suggest that violence is never justified. I believe there are instances in, in which civil disobedience is justified, but also think there are some instances in which uncivil disobedience is justified. One might even say that, you know, during slavery, um, to revolt, to run away and to fight oneself out of that, that wretched state was indeed justified. So I'm not, I'm not saying that violence is never justified. What I'm trying to do is disentangle this notion that because one is angry, then violence is, will always, I guess, result from that particular emotion. I wanna, I wanna disentangle that and suggest that there's productive action that can come as a result of anger. Uh, there is transformative action that can come as a result of anger. And there's a lot of empirical evidence to suggest that it's the case, particularly in social movements in America. Um, but that's also not to deny that there may be instances in which violence is necessary. I don't wanna deny that. But I think I want to disentangle um, and kind of lessen people's fears and lessen people's worry that just because someone is angry, then we ought to be afraid because it, it, inevitably they're going to result in kind of violent action. I want to I want to deny that connection. There's a kind of, in a way, a, a musicality to your work. It's almost like rap, 
in a way, <laughs> intellectual rap. And when I was reading the book, it reminded me a little bit of um, Nina Simone. And again, mm. I'm, I'm not sure how familiar you are. I'm, I'm sure you know her work. Very familiar. <laughs> who, who, who channeled her anger. What, what do you think the relationship is between anger and creativity, particularly artistic creativity? Because after all, um, so much of that anger as a reaction to slavery and discrimination and injustice has been channeled by the African-American community into music. Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. I mean, one of the things I talk about in the last chapter of the book is, is anger management. And I talk about one of the anger management techniques that one can engage in, and what I've seen people engage in is expression. And expression can take a variety of forms. And as you pointed out, artistic expression is one of those forms. Um, I think about Nina Simone, I think about Lauryn Hill, I think about the blues. Um, I think about a lot of protest songs that happened during the 60s. I mean, not only songs, but you think about kind of the poetry that originated the black arts movement and even hip hop. I mean, one might say that the very infancy of hip hop was a kind of way to express anger at the injustice that was happening in these particular communities. And that's an example that I'm, you know, that I'm referring to Andrew, that as much as people are concerned that the anger would necessarily lead to violence, we have evidence that there's other kinds of ways to express that anger. And we've seen that in, in Black art and art of people who have been marginalized and, and oppression. And I think these are wonderful examples of what one can do with that particular anger. And it's not just merely expression. I mean, one of the things that we know about protest songs, that they were used to express anger. Um, but in that expression of anger, it was also used to comfort people who were oppressed, to motivate um, people who were oppressed. Um, and that's the work that I think anger anger can do, or one of the examples of what anger can do. Um, Aisha, uh, indeed, you you end with a poem from um, <laughs> Audre Lorde. Uh, you have this, I think it's your phrase, Lordian anger, uh, her, her poem, Power. The difference between poetry and rhetoric is being ready to kill yourself instead of your mm -hmm. children. I am trapped mm. on a desert of raw gunshot wounds and a dead child dragging his shattered black face off the edge of my sleep. Talk to a little bit more about this, uh, this, this woman, uh, Lord. Why is she such an inspiration, both personally and intellectually, too? Because her shadow seems to lie uh, over this book in, in a positive way. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always wondered, particularly being a philosopher, there are a lot of philosophers who are drawn to philosophical figures like Immanuel Kant or Aristotle and Socrates, and, and, and they, they spend their life engaging in their work. And I've always wondered about what is it that draw people to fit to certain kinds of figures. And it wasn't until, you know, I came across Audre Lorde's work and began to know more about her life that I became kind of that person, right, that was drawn to this particular figure. And I think the reasons is, 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 is kind of twofold. So personally, there's a lot of things that I can relate to her about. And being an academic, um, being a philosopher is kind of hard to find uh, figures that you can relate to because there hasn't been a lot of women philosophers, particularly Black women philosophers, um, throughout time. Um, so I'm able to relate to her because, you know, she was a poet. I love poetry. She also was a scholar, um, believed in amplifying the voices and the ideas of, of uh, and the realities of people that were on the ground. Um, she was a black woman. She was a black queer woman. I am too. Um, she was bold and authoritative um, in what she said, very passionate about the things that she said. She took risks. Uh, she was courageous, um, particularly in a context, in, in, in a time period in which it wasn't acceptable to be a black woman, um, not, not a loud free black woman, and particularly it wasn't acceptable to be an out queer woman. Um, and then when I engage her, her work, um, you, miss, you, you mix kind of the poetry 
and, and the rhetoric together. And it's just, it's just beautiful. I mean, the, I, I noted that the uses of anger was inspirational to me. I have read that essay probably about 50 times. And each time I read it, I learn something new. And that's rare uh, for, for a thinker to do that for, for readers. And at any time I read any of, of Lord's essays, any of her poetry, it just moves me in a particular way. Um, and I can't explain how it does that, it just touches me in a particular way. I'm, I'm extra passionate, at least it's what my student says. Uh, when I teach Audre Lorde, I, I enter another room of passion. Just something about her work that resonates uh, with me. It's beautiful, it's touching, it's still relevant today. Um, and, and that's why I'm, I'm uniquely drawn to her and her work. Well, you, you, do, you definitely do a, a great deal of justice. I have to admit, I didn't know about it before reading the book and you brought it back to life for me. So congratulations oh, on you. that. Uh, we had... Um, uh, the uh, the African American feminist um, writer Martha Jones on the show recently talking about the struggle for voting rights for Black women. She talked about uh, Ida Wells, uh, Sojourner Truth, and many other females. I, I don't want to suggest that female and male anger are different, but mm -hmm. many of the figures in your book not. Exclusively, you talked about Martin Luther King, James mm -hmm. Baldwin, and so on. Uh, but many of many of the figures in your book who you use as kind of paragons, if you like, of of anger, are, are, are black uh, females. What is it about feminism or or, or, or female identity and anger that uh, that that interests you? and can be used as a compelling argument in favor of rage. So one of the things, you know, I usually in the African-American tradition, intellectual tradition, um, if anyone was to talk about anger, rage, and the conflict of racial injustice, Malcolm X would come to mind, or individuals right. from the Black Panther Party would come to mind. Um, and what I wanted to do, I wanted to resist um, that sole picture of what rage can look like. Um, so I, I, I kind of I, I intentionally resisted um, lifting those figures up as the primary examples of what anger can look like, um, because one of the things I wanted to say is that just as as men, militant black men, um, indeed, they existed. Um, I wanted to say, hey, there were also women who were angry at racial injustice, too. And I want to talk about them, too. Um, and I also think this is important because, you know, there's a stereotype. Um, as much as you say that well, there's no difference between the anger that men and women feel, there are still uh, social rules um, and stereotypes um, depending on who is angry and what social position they have. And, and so particularly, I wanted to resist the stereotype of the angry Black woman. And the angry Black woman is always angry. She's angry for no reason. She's irrational. She's out of control. And we shouldn't take her seriously. And one of the things I want to do for this book, as I make the case for rage, is I want to say the very people that we have silenced, the very people that we have uh, suggested is irrational and doesn't have a claim to anger, I wanted to lift those, those voices and those figures up. Um, as a way to kind of resist uh, that 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 stereotype, and also to say that we still, even to this day, although they may have been ignored during that time period, there's so much that we can still learn from them and their anger. Do you think there's something about anger that men can afford to stand above? Um, you mentioned Seneca in your book, the Roman uh, Stoic, who famously and proudly stood above anger. Uh, sort of look down on it, I guess. We had Mary Beard last week on the show, the distinguished uh, classicist, 
who has a new book out um, uh, about images of, 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 of Roman men. Um, what is it about men like Seneca who can look down on anger? Uh, there are lots of modern day versions, contemporary versions of Seneca. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Stoicism has received, uh, how can I say this, kind of popularity. Yeah, it's back in fashion. <laughs> it's, it's back, it's back in, in, in fashion. And men like, I think all the books about Stoicism or, or reinventing, revitalizing Stoicism are written by young men, often from Silicon Valley. Yes, yes. I mean, I, this attraction of, of, of what does it mean to be disciplined? What does it mean to control oneself um, so that one can rise beyond or above one's circumstances? I get I get I get the pull. I get the, 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 the temptation. And I, and I don't want to say that there's no value in, in, in stoicism. You know, one of the things that I would suggest is if we lived in an ideal world, a perfect world um, in which there was no injustice and, and particularly the kind of anger that I'm talking about is anger at racial injustice. So I'm not necessarily angry at your parents <laughs> or angry at your boss for not giving you a promotion. I'm very interested in a particular context. And I want to say that if we lived in a perfect context, then there would be no reason for anger. Um, um, I'll be talking about another emotion. But the, given the context and the realities in which we live, um, I would like it that no one experienced anger. But that's not the reality, right? There are lots of things to be angry about. There's injustice. I mean, we think about so many people who've died from COVID-19, um, so many people who have died not simply because they had the illness, but because uh, from a demographic perspective, their, their sex, their, their, their racial background, um, their socioeconomic situation. Um, these are not perfect conditions. It's hard to rise above these kinds of atrocities. And I think the app response to these kinds of atrocities, whether that's terrorism, racism, et cetera, et cetera, is to respond um, with, 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 with anger. Um, I think it's a fitting response. It doesn't mean that one is, is weak. It doesn't mean that one is not, not disciplined. It doesn't mean that one has allowed the world to take over oneself. Unless one is able or uh, willing to change the world, um, we have to be affected by it. Um, we have to evaluate that something is, is indeed wrong. And I think one of the greatest disciplines that you can have is, hey, I'm going to have this emotion, but I'm going to manage it in a certain kind of way. I'm going to use all the wonderful features of, of its motivational components, its productive components. It's, it's the way that it's able to ascribe value, value to others. I can use it in a way that is indeed disciplinary or a way in which I'm able to, to fight against injustice. And, and I, I take that to be just as strong as the stoic position. Um, so I, I have no qualms um, with, with, even in the midst of the rise of stoicism again, of responding to different kinds of atrocity with these emotions. I don't consider it a weakness. Um, and I think it's necessary, as I say in the subtitle, it's necessary to fight against um, racial injustice with this particular emotion. It doesn't mean that one is out of control. It doesn't mean that one has lost control. One can be angry and still be in control of oneself. Um, and I don't see, uh, I don't see a incompatibility there. Maisha, as I said, there are, there, are, there are two shadows hanging over the book. The first is um, Audrey Lord, And then the second are, are various kinds of corpses, unfortunately. The, the corpse of George Floyd, mm -hmm. of Breonna Taylor, of Trayvon Martin, and so many other victims of um, mm -hmm. murderous brutality on the part of mostly the police or the authorities. Uh, and of course, of Black Lives Matter. Um, how has this changed the case for rage, Black Lives Matter? Has it made it more compelling or less compelling as, as Black Lives Matter has entered the mainstream 
both mm-hmm. in the United States and around the world? I think one of the things that these unfortunate cases has brought to the attention of many people is that for a while, I think many people were convinced that racism does not exist, whether that's individual racism, whether that's structural racism. I think for many people, they thought um, that there has been lots of progress in the United States. And so there was no reason to get angry. (laughs) If one was getting angry, one was playing the race card, one was exaggerating the current state of affairs. And unfortunately, I think what these cases have exemplified for lots of people suggests that America still suffers from a major problem, a major problem that has always been at its infancy. And and in some ways, people are trying to deny this particular history. Um, But I think these present cases um, have made people aware that there's still a lot of work for us to do. Um, But it also has reminded people that there's still a lot to to, to be angry about. Um, And, you know, I was motivated to write this work in 2012 after the shooting of Trayvon Martin. And seeing, I think for me, um, seeing the way in which people were responding, a lot, lots of people were, were, were angry, were mad. And, and from this, we get the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. We get people protesting the streets, angry. And, and me kind of seeing how people were interpreting that anger um, in, in ways that was problematic for me. I think for lots of people, they felt that um, the anger wasn't justified. Um, that they should have expressed it in a very different way. And so I, I wrote this book kind of in response to that, for those people who were critics of anger, for them to know um, or to be persuaded uh, that anger is, is fitting in these particular contexts. But I also wrote this book in response to people who were outraged at these particular cases, um, to allow them to know that they were not alone in their anger, allow them to know that they're, they shouldn't be shameful or feel shame as a result of their anger but also let them know that there's something that they can do with this anger. And so this book is a a love letter to them, um, but also I hope a persuasive tool for those who have been critical um, of of, of people's responses to those particular cases. Um, But if anything, I think think what these these cases have exemplified for people that there's there's anger is fitting, (laughs) that it's not made up, people are not playing the race car, people are not acting irrational, uh, that that anger is an appropriate response to the depths of these individuals. I think, you know, as much as we've, these, these cases are high profile cases. I, I just want to remind people that, you know, even if there's not a protest today, it doesn't mean that racial justice has been achieved. Um, that just because there's not a march today or we don't know about a black lot that has been taken um, by the police, that people still suffer from systemic racism, that people still suffer from racial injustice. And, and I want to talk to those people who are still angry behind the scenes to let them know that there's something that they can do, that they're not alone, um, that they can use their rage to fight against um, racism. Aisha, you write about uh, white women uh, philosophers like Martha Nussbaum, um, who who are sympathetic, I'm not sure to your argument itself, (laughs) but certainly to anti-racism. Is there a difference between black anger, black rage in response to racism, and white rage? Do, do white people have the right to be angry as much as black people to racism? So one of the things that I would suggest is that, and I'm talking about a, a United States context, that we are all political citizens. Um, we are compatriots. Um, when one group loses, we all lose. When one group gains, we all gain. We all believe in these democratic principles, these egalitarian principles. And so I, I would say that what happens to one community happens to us all. And that if we are all invested, if we're all co-citizens, we're all invested in America being what it should be, 
then I, I will argue that when we hear about an injustice that has been suffered, that we also feel anger, <laughs> um, just as we also feel compassion when we see that someone is, 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 is suffering. Now, as far as the difference, there's no doubt um, that there will be differences, right? And a lot of this has to just do with there's kind of sufferings that just have a different impact on one life than it has on the other. And so what one feels is gonna be quite, quite different. Um, but I don't think that those differences are, are divisive. I think, I think as Adi Lord would say, there's beauty in difference. I believe in the politics of difference that once we acknowledge these differences, we can move on from them, learn from them, grow from them. But I don't think those, those differences are, are, are divisive. One of the things that I talk about in the book, um, and this is uh, the chapter before I get to anger management, I talk about the reality or the existence of what I call rage renegades. And I've described rage renegades as, 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 as white people who are angry at, at racism. Um, who live in a society that was meant to benefit them, if, it's, if we believe that it's a white supremacist or a racist society, or um, that this society was meant to benefit them. But they are outraged at such a, at such a system, and I call them rage renegades. Um, and, and one of the things that I suggest is, is um, what they're angry about would be quite different. Um, than what a black person is angry about. So we, we might say that a, a white person could be angry that there is injustice, um, racial injustice in the world. They could be angry that a friend of theirs has suffered from injustice. They could be angry that America's not li living up to its creed. And then you have a, a black person who could be angry for those same reasons, uh, but they're also angry because every time they go out in the street, they are themselves experiencing racism. So there, there can be subtle differences there, um, but I wanna say that those subtleties um, are just differences um but you know one of the things that i'm trying to motivate in the book and it's a it's not a book about black rage per se it's a book about anger ang anger at racism and i want to say that anyone can be angry angry at racism um but as i'm kind of arguing that chapter there are things that certain people can do with their rage that can be problematic and so i illuminate that um but i don't think that the differences should divide us i think anyone can be angry at racism and anyone can use their anger um for anti-racist uh, struggle uh, means one of the nice things about the case for rage is it it's not a book that makes you angry in some ways it's quite charming it in a very That's good to know. way it makes a case for rage and for anger and for anger management and for being accountable for one's anger it's a very thoughtful book uh Maisha Cherry so congratulations on that you're normally Thank you, you so teach much. in Southern California but you're in Boston at the moment uh, yes. I think on book tour, Maisha. What else should yes. people be reading in these strange times in addition to your new book, The Case for Rage? So I, I've talked about Audre Lorde. <laughs> so yeah. I, would, I would most definitely pick up her essay collection, Sister Outsider. Um, in the book, I also talk about James Baldwin. Um, pick up James Baldwin's The Fire Next Time. Um, yeah, Baldwin, uh, he, um, he always comes up in all these conversations. <laughs> He's uh, a uniquely compelling character, I think, on so many fronts. Yes, yeah, so many fronts. Um, I will also say there's a book coming out um, uh, in a few weeks. Um, and, you know, however controversial it may be, I think the 1619 Project uh, is edited by, yeah. uh, yes, uh, New York Times. Um, I would say, I would say pick that up. And also for another look at history of why one might be wondering why people are angry, how the world was passed by Clint Smith. Um, so those are books that I would suggest people should read. Well, Maisha Cherry, stay angry, stay rageful, <laughs> stay responsibly angry, coherently, yes. philosophically angry. You do a very good job, both, I think, in person and with this new book. Congratulations. Keep well, and we'll Thank talk so again. Much. I think this is an important subject. Unfortunately, it's not going away. Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you.